You know, there are all kinds of surprises in this world, and one of them is a negative surprise. Uh, and negative surprises and sometimes make you bitter, sometimes they just make you doubt God. But there's all kinds of surprises, and uh, not all of them are what you um, would, would ever even expect to happen. I know that there was this boss uh, who was wondering why one of his employees had not come in and hadn't even called in sick. So he needed, he had some issues, uh, work-related issues that he needed to get resolved. And so he decided he would call and uh, see if he could get some answers, figuring he was sick, just hadn't called in. So he calls, and a child answers the phone at home and whispers, Hello? And uh, he says, Well, is your daddy home? And he says, Yes, he said, uh, well, may I talk with him? And the child came back, no. And he's kind of surprised by that. He says, well, is your mommy there? And she, the kid said, yes. Uh, well, may I talk with her? No. Uh, well, is anybody else there? Yes. Well, who's there? A policeman. Now he's kind of worried, said, well, may I speak to the policeman? No, he's busy. And the guy says, busy, busy doing what? Talking to daddy and mommy and the fireman. Now he's really upset. And the growing word, he says, well, what's, what's that noise I hear? A helicopter. What's going on there? Well, the search team just landed a helicopter. Well, what are they searching for? It kind of giggled. Me. <laughs> There's all kind of surprises in this world. You're not really expecting some things to happen. A doctor said, uh, I have bad news and worse news to the patient. And the patient said, so let me have it, doc. He said, well, the bad news is that you only have 24 hours to live. The patient says, well, I can't imagine what could be worse than that. Well, I forgot to tell you yesterday. A lot of negative surprises in this world and make you think bad things. We all have had things that didn't go as expected. Some of them were positive and some of them were negative. A job turns out to be a dream job and you didn't expect it. Or what you thought was a dream job turns out to be a nightmare. You find out that you're having twins. I'm not sure that's a positive thing, but or you find out you can't have children at all. You had a delayed vacation, or suddenly you get a message that you have to leave town for an extended business trip. Your company lays you off, or suddenly your boss brings you in and pays you more than you ever expected. The results change your life. And it made you feel shocked, made you feel surprised, made you feel like you never had any control over what was going on, didn't it? Sometimes it seems that God is silent. And by being silent, it feels like he's absent. good example of that is in three books in the Old Testament. This is one of them, the book of Ruth. Another one would be the book of Esther. And another one would be the book of Job. God's presence 
is not always overt in all situations. Sometimes his presence is covert. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that it is more often covert than overt. God sometimes moves in ways that surprise us as well. We just think we know what God would do in any given situation, and we rarely know what God would do in any given situation. God sometimes acts behind the scenes, and because of that, people can feel deserted by God, or maybe they feel forgotten, or maybe they feel afflicted, or maybe they just get bitter. It's not really the facts, but it feels like the facts because enough bad things can happen that it feels like that's the truth. Ladies of faith and men of faith, but this lesson more focused on ladies of faith, there are lessons for us all, but there's some lessons for ladies of faith in this text. Um, chaotic events really don't mean you're forgotten. Circumstances can sometimes blind us from the hand of God. They can be so real and so much in our face that we can't see anything but the problem. Jesus warns us about trouble in John sixteen thirty three. He says, in the world... You will, you will have tribulation. It's not a maybe. It's you will. You likely have had times where God moved in ways you just did not expect him to. If you haven't, you will. If you have been able to handle pain and trouble that came your way, you probably at this point have seen, look back, looking back with more mature eyes of faith, have been able to see how that difficult time in your life and prayer actually work to make, to make you a better person. The story in this text in the book of Ruth is of two unexpected widow survivors. How God moved even when he was not seen in this text. This happens after the conquest of Canaan. This is during the time of the judges, and particularly in the time it begins in the time of a famine. Now, you would think that the people of Israel would not be undergoing a famine. You would think that the people of Israel, now that they've had a conquest, they've got the whole land following him. You would think God would bless them, but here they are in the middle of a famine. It's really also has the backdrop of some really hard feelings. There's some really hard feelings between the Moabites and Israel. Deuteronomy 23, 3 to 6, they did not come to their help. You remember when they wanted to cross their land and they wouldn't let them? They were not there for them. And yet they were kind of relatives. You ever had your relatives kind of not be there for you? Leave a bad taste in your mouth? Uh, Elimelech uh, and his sons in that situation, took Moabite wives. But it appears that they took these wives maybe after Elimelech had passed away. It's not that 100% clear. But Elimelech, just so that you know, it means to whom God is king. Naomi means the gracious one. And Malkon, or Malkalon, it means the weak. And that is the one that was married to Ruth. Now, Ruth does not come across as a weakling. 
but, you know, opposites attract, maybe. Romans 4, verse 10, she was not weak, but apparently there may have been a weakness in him. Chilion uh, means pining, and that was Orpah's husband. We know that from Ruth 4 and verse 10, if you want to check that out. The Moabites were not among the list of seven nations that were forbidden to be married. Uh, if you want to check that, that's Deuteronomy 7 and verse 3. There were seven nations. Israelites were not to marry after they got into the land of Canaan. But later the Moabites were mentioned as people not really suitable to marry in Ezra chapter 9 and verse 1. But in that, the injunction is first and foremost for the priests and the Levites who were not really supposed to marry anybody outside their own family. And you need to remember that a Jew who wasn't a priest or a Levite could marry someone who was not of the line as long as that woman, usually was a woman, converted to the faith because that's kind of how they started it. But uh, if they don't convert, then, as you'll read in Ezra, they were expected to give them up. Scripture teaches that God cares for widows and expects us also to do the same. Uh, And I think you need to think on that a little bit. I've got Scripture on your outline. We won't get into that. There are questions that I think come to mind when you read this book, like where was God's care? He cares so much about widows. Where was God's care in this book? Now, you're going to see it, but you don't see it maybe when you first glance at it. Uh, You see it as you take a few steps in. So there's four lessons. They're all there in front of you. We'll just review them quickly, and then the lesson will be yours. Number one, this surviving widow and grieving mother still believed in God's visits or his visitation. Ruth 1 and verse 6, the last thing that was read a moment ago, and he reads so well, doesn't he? He reads so well. It says, Then she arose with her daughter-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. So even though she'd lost her husband, she'd lost her two sons, And she was on the verge of potentially losing both of her daughter-in-laws and being absolutely alone. She still believed it was the Lord that visited her people back in Israel. Now, I just say to you that you can get to the point, if you don't know this, that you don't believe God's doing anything. And it's easy to go there a few things go wrong. God didn't do anything, but she still believed, and she believed that the fact that the famine was over was a sign that God had not abandoned the people of Israel. Would you see that in such a simple act? The second little truth here is this surviving widow and grieving mother still believed in God's prayers, still believed in praying. How do you believe in praying when you prayed and your husband died? How do you believe in praying that after your husband died, you pray for your child and he still dies? How do you believe in praying after your husband and your child dies, you pray over your last sick child and he still dies? How do you still believe in praying? 
She did. Look what happens in verses 8 and 9. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord, listen to what she says to them. The Lord, this is a prayer. The Lord deal kindly with you. That's for both daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So she is not only saying that they've been good to their her sons, but that they were well, they did well after they died. Verse 9, the Lord grant, this is another prayer, the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Hope you find a husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. In the middle of all their grief, she prays the Lord to be kind to them. She prays that the Lord would grant them a future where they would be taken care of. How do you keep praying when every time you've just prayed, you've got nothing you ask for? And yet, she's still praying. The third lesson I want you to see is the surviving widow and grieving mother still believed in God's impact. Now take a look at verses 15, 16, and 17. Verse 15. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, notice this statement, and to her gods. Now, if you don't pay attention, you miss things. What she says is Orpah had at one point left her people and left her gods. She was a worshiper of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Look what she says now. And going back to her people and to her gods, return after your sister-in-law. Verse 16. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. Now, most of us think this is about her relationship with Orpah. It is, but that's not all it is. Pay attention. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. We're family. I love that. We're family. And your God, my God. I'm a believer. I'm not leaving. What you're suggesting to me is to go back to paganism, and I'm not willing to do it. Everybody puts this on her relationship with with Naomi. That's not all that's going on here. This is a choice between going back to God's and staying with the true God. Look at verse 17. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. Now look at this. The Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Lord do so to me. I'm not a doubter in him. And more also, if anything but death parts you and me. I've made a commitment. I put my hand to the plow. I'm not looking back. I'm a follower of the Lord. Now imagine now, remember, this is a woman who never had any children by this man. She's got nothing but this woman that's left who was her mother-in-law. And that right there is a miracle, you know, mother-in-law, daughter-in-law loving each other. But more than that, 
That was a joke. Thank you for laughing. The one, the men that laughed. Uh, I know. But what I want you to see is Naomi had believed that when you move into another place, and if it's not obvious now, it should be obvious. Naomi and I'm sure Limelech, and I'm sure the two sons believed in making their faith impact other people. That they had evangelized these two ladies. And they had left their gods. And they were serving the Lord. And even in the middle of this loss, she still, Ruth, still believes in God. That's the impact of God. And they both believed in it. The last little message that you need to pick up is this surviving widow and grieving mother still believed in God's sovereignty. Now, what sovereignty of God basically means is he don't do anything wrong. He does it all right. And all things work together for good. Not some things, all things. Even the bad stuff, even the bad stuff. God is able to make all things work together for good. How does he do that? Don't ask me. I'm not the Lord's advisor. But I have noticed that he keeps doing this over and over again. Ruth chapter 1, look at verse 13. Would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sake that, listen to this statement, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now listen, you really need to hear this. Even the bad that she's not happy about, that she could not stand, she does not curse God over it, but she attributes to God. Look at verse 20. But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. You say, well, that wasn't the right attitude. No, you're not in a position to say that, my friend. It's in the Bible, and the Bible doesn't say she had a bad attitude here. So I'm just going to go with this is the way it is. Verse 21, I went, I went out full, and the Lord, not circumstance, not bad luck, Not just happenstance, but the Lord has brought me home again empty. She's not through saying what she means. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me? What does that mean? She's saying that God is showing you I'm not that great. And she's not anymore. She's lost it all. Listen, she's not through. And the Almighty has afflicted me. Oh, well, you should never say God afflicts anyone. Well, you should never say the Bible's not true. This is what it says. We have no reason to deny it. Except you don't like it. What I do know is the Lord God rules over all the earth, and His hand controls it all. 
from the swaying of the trees to the river rolling downhill. He runs it all. He is the sovereign God. And this woman, in all of her affliction, still believes God's in control. Now that's faith, folks. You may not like it, but I'm so impressed by this woman. How in the world do you face that and still believe that? It would be a lot easier to say, well, it was just bad luck. That would have been so much easier to believe that. Or, I don't know why it happened. She didn't go there at all. And the Lord doesn't correct it in the text. So women survivors, and here in Ruth 1, that have lost all. And by the way, women tend to be the ones who lose it all. You do know that, right? You do know that. You're going first, likely, men. You hear me? You're probably going to leave her alone. Women survivors, here we have it. They lost it all. Then these surviving widows and moms, this mother, grieving mother, still believed in God's visiting hand. We still believe that God answered prayer. We still believe that God had an impact upon people's lives and made them believe. She still believed that God was sovereign over all the earth and what happened. Is it the calm before the storm coming for you? This is a hard lesson here. But we've got to brace ourselves because I'm afraid if we're not careful. And listen to me, I believe. God desires to bless us. Psalm 1, 1. Lord wants to bless his people. I mean, Abraham's blessing. He wants to bless you. He wants to give you eternal life where you never get sick again. You never have a headache. I mean, you just nothing goes wrong. He wants to do that. But for me to tell you that and assure you that God assures you of no suffering, that's a lie. There is a storm coming in every person's life. I found they tend to roll through. There's not one storm coming. They roll through. Isaiah suffered martyrdom. He was sown into. <laughs> sown into by Manasseh. Jeremiah suffered martyrdom. He was stoned in Taphanes, Egypt. Ezekiel suffered martyrdom in the Chaldeans. Daniel was made a captive by Nebuchadnezzar and turned into a eunuch. Most people don't even pay attention to that. Could have no wife and no kids. Micah suffered martyrdom by Jehoram. Amos was tortured by Amaziah, and then later he was killed by Amaziah's son. Zechariah was killed by Jehoash near the altar. We get into the New Testament. Paul was martyred in Rome by being beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. Andrew was said to have been crucified as well. 
Thomas was pierced through by spears from four different soldiers simultaneously. Philip was arrested and then apparently cruelly put to death, but we don't have the details on how that happened. Matthew was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Bartholomew was, there's several different stories about how he died, and nobody knows which story is even close to being true. But it it's all points to the fact that he was martyred. James was stoned, and then he was clubbed to death by Fuller's club, hit him in the side of the head, killed him. Simon Zelotes was killed, not because he'd done something bad, but because he would not sacrifice to a sun god, and they just put him to death. Matthias was apparently burned to death, and John was boiled in oil and then banished to the island of Patmos. So Naomi suffered. You got a promise of better than the apostles and the prophets? Naomi suffered. She survived. It may have been bitter for a time, but she was, listen, she was never unbelieving. So if you're bitter tonight and you're letting that turn you away from your faith, you're less than Naomi. In all of her bitterness, she did not turn away from her faith. Naomi stands as a great example of a woman yet surviving with her faith intact no matter what happened. Millions upon millions of good widows have done the same. They buried their husband and they still remain faithful to God. They have sat in church buildings from time immemorial. That's the reason, one of the reasons more people normally at church are women because the men are dead and the women are still faithful with us. What examples would you look for? I'm telling you some of the greatest examples of godliness I've ever seen are widowed ladies who are still faithful after they've almost lost everything. Follow their example. Expect surprises. Expect silence at times. God says nothing, it looks like. Expect to suffer at times. But don't let your faith waver. It will be rewarded in time. Follow Naomi, whose faith survived some of the worst things that could possibly happen to you. If you're here tonight and your faith hadn't been surviving, we'd be glad to pray for you. We want your faith to survive. Amen. We want your faith to be strong until the Lord comes back. When the Lord comes, shall he find faith in your home, in your life? That's a decision you just must make. Buckle up. Make it now. Don't wait until then. You know, if it's like going on a date. Don't wait until you're in the car with the girl to decide you're going to kiss her. You know what I mean? Make a decision early. It's like voting. Vote early, vote often. So, so fundamentally, make a decision now about your faith and don't give up on it. And you'll be glad you did because when, when it does come, if it comes, God forbid you face any of these things. But if it comes, you'll believe right through the middle of it. So if you're here tonight, you need to rededicate, or you're here tonight, you want to repent of your sins, confess the name of Christ, be baptized, because you already believe in the Son of God, but you just haven't put him on in baptism. We want to help you do that. Whatever you need, let it be known, and we'll try to help while we stand and while we sing.